I'm Rex Weiner, and I am the author of the original Adventures of Ford Fairlane, uh, published by Rare Bird Books. Uh, and uh, I, we're going to be talking about uh, a literary appreciation of power pop, go all the way, in which I have an essay about Alex Chilton of Big Star called September Girls Have It Good. Or no, wait a minute. September Girls Have It Bad. One of those things. Hi, I'm Joe Clifford. I'm the author of the Jay Porter Thriller series, Junkie Love, uh, Scum Train, the one that got away, a bunch of other books. I contributed an essay to the Power Pop anthology, Go All the Way, called uh, Never Got to Say Goodbye, uh, the Power Pop, uh, which is a rumination on the passing of my brother and the return of Franz Nicolet to one of my favorite bands to hold steady. Well, let me start off by saying, Joe, I really, uh, I'm in awe of your shelf of books and uh, your uh it's just your jay porter series is is awesome and uh, your essay uh in uh go all the way um was pretty amazing and i figure that they put us together because you know we're talking about heroin and death uh, in both of our yeah. yeah, yeah, all that, all that, all that fun stuff. It's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Maybe a little light on the uh, sex and rock and roll. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly a com- uh, commonality there, a uh, common thread between the between the two. Uh, it was a pleasure to, to, to contribute to that essay, uh, that essay to that collection. Um, and uh, yeah, Alex Chilton, obviously, being a replacements fan is uh, is pretty near and dear uh, to me and Paul Westerberg and, and several other. Uh, want to be rock stars out there. <laughs> well, I think also, um, you know, this book is uh, really unique in how, uh, in the way that uh, all of the authors contributing essays sort of reach into the past and try to make it relevant to the present and try to wrestle with, you know, their enthusiasm for this kind of music uh, uh, and try to well, define yeah, I mean, anytime it in some you're way. doing yeah anytime you're doing a, a collection like this or you know an essay you, know, you have to find that center whatever that that gravitational pull is that that, that attracts you the author to the project um you know because that's where you can get the best work coming out you know you're, you're you know what's what's inside of you and what what resonates um and power pops an interesting um place to start because it means so many different things to so many different people uh, you know, some people will equate it with sort of, you know, this power punk thing going on, you know, you're Blink-182 or, or or bands like that, which which I, you know, am quite fond of. Others will go back to, you know, bands like Sweet. Others will go, you know, even further back and, and you got Alex Chilton and, and, you know, there's a whole a whole bunch of bands that kind of fit into that milieu and it's um, really uh, your vantage points to what, what you consider um, to be power pop. Uh, I mean, it all, all three power pop words None of it's power pop, right? <laughs> well, you know, I hadn't thought much about power pop ever until uh, our mutual editors, uh, S.W. Laden and Paul Myers, reached out to me to uh, do something about it. And that was only because uh, in working with uh, 
Loudon on some other things. Um, I had mentioned that I knew Alex. He was a friend and neighbor of mine way back in the pre-Big Star days. And, um, but you know, you and I also do something uh, similar in our essays. We actually reach out to, to people, uh, reach out into the past to sort of make sense of it. So did you actually interview Franz? What's his name, Nicolai? I did. Yeah, I did. I, I would like to say it was a graceful uh, <laughs> effort on my part. I, I was a little starstruck. Um, uh, Franz Nicolai and, and that band have, uh, have meant a great deal to me. And, and, and as I write in the essay, it, it's very difficult to uh, express those kind of um, feelings towards another <laughs> Uh, grown, grown man <laughs> saying, you know, uh, how can I ever thank you? And it's just a weird sort of uh, power dynamic that goes on. And, and I'm, I'm not the most socially uh, graceful of, of people to begin with. So, um, you know, the essay, uh, the, you know, the, the interview portion, which I have on, on tape, and I've only listened to uh, the bare minimum times, it's painful for me to listen to. Uh, I, I don't know how bad it was for Franz, but uh, I mean, I just sound like a, a you know, kid that's gobsmacked. I'm, uh, you know, I'm sitting around somebody who's who really... Um, had a profound impact on my, on my life going, you know, back to when I first heard the band and uh, I guess it would have been 2005 uh, when I was in grad school and uh, my friend Christopher turned me on to them and uh, they became a, a staple through through a pretty tumultuous time, you know, in my time in Miami when I was getting my MFA, I went through a divorce, I just died in a motorcycle accident, but, you know, what was going on with my brother uh, was, was, was huge and so... Um, you know, he was the soundtrack, and, and he played a huge part in that. Uh, and when he left the band, um, I think it was 2010 where he uh, left the band, uh, there was definitely a, a change of um, a change in the music, uh, at least as far as how it resonated to me. They were still a very good band, but Franz was, uh, you know, a, a special component that I don't think you can replace uh, a guy like that. He's uh, you know, he's played in other bands, you know, against me and, 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 and several other, he does his own solo stuff, but he's, you know, multi-instrumentalist and a uh, vocalist and just, I think, you know, a fantastic, fantastic musician's musician. And he lives down the street for you? Is that, did I well, read yeah, that I, I correctly? Wanna, I, he lives, he, he's, he's returned to the Bay Area. I felt bad even writing that because I was <laughs> 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 Okay, I, I know what you mean. He's, he's, yeah, no, no, I mean, I feel, you know, I mean, I... I, you know, the whole the whole thing was so surreal driving over to his, his place and he was so nice and so gracious and, and I just think like, you know, God, what do you want to think? Man, I have a hard time talking sometimes and I did a lot of drugs back in the day and, and I don't always have the uh, the smoothest transition. Sometimes I mumble. I, I hope I'm talking loud enough now. You know, depending on the day, I can be a completely, you know, I borderline basket case uh fringe member society like I shouldn't be out in the streets walking around talking to people and it was one of those mornings uh where I don't think I made a whole lot of sense and he was kind of looking at me like what's what's up with these questions there's no rhyme or reason to them because I hadn't really formulated what I wanted, what I wanted the piece to be about uh, I knew it was going to be about my brother because uh, my brother was also a huge Hold Steady fan he uh he died of alcoholism about a month before they released their first single with Franz in, in almost 10 years. Uh, and it was, it was a very poignant song that talked about uh, just, you know, little in-jokes between my brother and, and me that we, we've had for years and, and in the way that rock and roll and, and power pop and music uh, can transcend, uh, you know, that medium and mean something to so many 
people. You know, that's why we, you know, we make mixtapes, right, for for the the people we like, and and songs can talk for us, and you know, that was the the whole idea, and uh, and you know, it was all in my head, but trying to get that into form of questions to a guy who's, you know, he's got you know limited time, you know, he's teaching, he's doing stuff, taking apart accordions or whatever Franz Nicolay does in his copious free time. Uh, you guys always seems to be on the road. Uh, yeah, so I felt a little, a little out of sorts, a little out of my element, and uh, and yeah, I was a little lost. You know, I was, I was, I was awestruck. I mean, well, um, it's uh, you know. well, you seem to have done very well. I mean, I do that for a living. I'm a, I'm a journalist, a working journalist, and uh, uh, you know, I, I work for a lot of European magazines. They say, go interview Joaquin Phoenix. He has a new movie coming out, and uh, <clears throat> and so I, you know, go sit with him and talk with him and you know it's it's never easy but you know it's for me it's a job but you did pretty well i mean how did you contact him how did you find uh, him? uh one of one of our mutual friends in the um in the uh in the crime writing world i'd, I'd met franz i'd met craig Finn, i'd met franz i mean i don't know if they remember who i was that you know when they come around i i tend to go all the shows you know i went to you know you know i flew out to, to the brooklyn bowl um but uh, I mean, did you have the same problem when you interviewed Keith uh, Sykes, or am I just crazy? So you're saying as a journalist, you had no, you had no like trepidation. It was just easy and cool. And uh, I always wonder how journalists can do that uh, to be around somebody who whose art you respect so much, and then talking <laughs> to him as, a, as an equal as a peer. Um, and I guess maybe if you do long enough, that's just what, the way it is. But to me, rock stars have always been elevated, you know, even higher than authors. And I think that's because I started out wanting to be a rock star, uh, and is, uh, you know, and, and failed miserably at it. And so I just look at the vocation as being like the, uh, the ultimate. You know, like I tell my son, he's nine years old. He's, There's no greater job than rock star. That's that is the greatest job in the world. Better than president, you know, you can rule the universe, you know, maybe the son of God might be a close second. All I know is that, that being a, being a rock star, is, is, <laughs> it means a great deal. So you, you had, you had a, you've had a pretty easy time that I'm taking it when you, when you, when you called your, uh, cause you said he, he used to be your neighbor, right? Well, yeah. So. I mean, all of, all of these years, you know, I've just sort of tracked Alex and Keith and, you know, from afar and just sort of kept, uh, some awareness of where they were and what they were doing. And, uh, but I hadn't really spoken to any of these people since, you know, almost 50 years. And, uh, it was, it was, it was really, it was easy and it was great. It was just like continuing the conversation that left off, uh, you know, 50 years ago in Greenwich village. And, uh, it was wonderful. And the, the amazing thing that I discovered, Joe, was that, all of these characters who used to live under the same roof in this five-story walk-up in the village, they're still hanging out together in Memphis at Ardent Studios. And it was, you know, after I talked to Keith, he, he, he hands the phone over to uh, Gordon Alexander, who was a, a crazy poet living there. And Gordon hangs, and I talk, and he hands the phone over to Jody Stevens, who was the drummer in Big Star. He's working at our studios. And uh, so it was like, it was a great sort of discovery, uh, you know, a reunion, even if it was not, you know, in person. And, uh, you know, we, we ca caught up on 70s 
some things, and but mainly talking about Alex, who kind of you know was the subject of all of what I was trying to get into. You know, it uh, it was it was easy talking to them, and you know, I I as part of my job, my business, I. I interview, you know, they say, go interview John Legend. Well, you know, I've never listened to his goddamn music. I mean, it's okay. You know, <laughs> we uh, we sit and talk like two human beings, have a conversation, and, um, you know, I get an article out of it and a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. I just look at it as a job, Joe. It's like what I do. You know, like 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 if they said talk to John Legend, and, and not to pick on John Legend, who's a fine musician and he made Christy like Christy Teigen or something. So like, mm-hmm. wasn't just like the sexiest man alive or something. So the guy's got it very good. But the point is like his music's never it, it's fine. Like you said, it doesn't. But like if they said now you're writing this piece on Alex Chill and go talk to Paul Westerberg, I, I probably would have passed out. Like then it's Paul Westerberg. He's because he's had you know that kind of uh, personal impact on my life. Uh, whereas John Legend mm-hmm. sort of, you know, he's a, he's a cool dude, I'm sure, but like, yeah, his music's never been something that that um, spoke to me any any kind of way. It's that the music that shapes our lives uh, has a much yeah. more, yeah, you know, robust sort of uh, impact. I think. Well, I, I think the most difficult interview I ever had was with Lou Reed. Uh, the magazine flew me from L.A., where I lived, to uh, to New York. And uh, it was all set up and, you know, we sat down in a restaurant and he only had, you know, 45 minutes and he looked like he was in pain. And I know that Lou hates journalists. He's famous for that. In fact, I, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, Lester Bangs was a pal of mine and, and Lester, you know, was famously in, in conflict with Lou. And we're sitting there and I'm thinking, he looks like he's in pain. He looks like he's going for you know, dental surgery or something. And uh, finally, after about 45 minutes, his assistant leans over and says, Lou's got to wrap this up now. He's going to the dentist for a root canal. And sure enough, <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. He was really in fucking pain. <laughs> this was after he sobered up or, you know, stopped doing, because that'll also cause you a little bit of pain if you're, if you're waiting for, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, well, but good. I think uh, I think the most daunting the most daunting interview for me would either be Bob Dylan or Van Morrison. They they had you know the kind of impact on me that you're talking about with Westerberg. Yeah, that'd be I can't, can't imagine Springsteen would be the same thing. I, I, I you know I, I you know would probably pass out. But um, you know if you've been doing it a while, I guess it becomes almost almost second nature. Uh, yeah. Um, there's something you said in your essay that I, I thought we also had in common, which was, you know, you say that the, that's the, the power of pop, the perfect dysfunctional marriage of words and music. And, you know, in mine, I say I can, which is my essay kind of focuses on, um, you know, uh, September Girls, the big stars song yeah and i say i can still feel the optimism of the opening chords colliding with the song's ambivalent lyrics making september girls the perfect expression of its murky era i mean do you think power pop is unique in in that sort of way that the the sound of the music and and the lyrics 
I don't think it's entirely um, you know relegated to power pop. If you think of a band like the Smiths, which you're about as far from power pop as you got, one of the one of the selling points of the band was you had Johnny Mars sort of upbeat, almost jangly, you know, positive uh, uh, major chords. And then you had Morrissey's, you know, melancholy, maudlin lyrics, and, and that juxtaposition worked well. But uh, yeah, overall, mm-hmm. I, I think there is something um, with power pop uh, that you, can, you have uh, sort of a, I don't want to say edgy, uh, I guess I'll say edgy. There, there's an edginess to, to the lyrics. You know, if you think of like, if I would think of the perfect power pop song, which I heard about 17 times on our trip, I just came back from Disneyland with my kids and I got serious radio and they seem to play Surrender by Cheap Trick every six minutes on one of the stations. Uh, but I kept <laughs> listening to it and, and I think that would probably be the perfect power pop song. Um, for me, and, and, and I think there's a reason why every single band starting out, uh, you know, plays uh, that kind of music, uh, and that's most bands, most garage bands, plays that as a cover, um, is because it, it's it's a great, it's the perfect example of power pop. You know, it's 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 got those big ringing open, uh, you know, bar major chords, and, and some, you know, the lyrics are pretty messed up. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's these kids who are, who are falling apart, but they're still fighting and, and, and uh, you know, rebelling against the system, rebelling against the man, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a dysfunction. And, and I think you, you see that more often than not uh, in, in power pop, um, that kind of, uh, uh, you know, friction going against the two, the, the lyric, lyrically and, and musically. Because musically, it's, it's, it's always going to be a pretty upbeat. That's, that's the definition of power pop. It's going to be these, it's a pretty upbeat genre uh, if you just listen to music, but but yeah, what I think what makes it stand apart is is that the lyric lyrically you you tend to get into some kind of uh, you know it's a little little bit of a sneer. I mean, if you can go back to to maybe a band that you know one of the precursors, a band like the Who, um, I think you see them doing a lot of power pop um, with some of their stuff early on, and uh, and it, you know it trans uh, you know translates to to what we get today. Well, rock and roll is at, at its basic, purest, best is is about rebellion. It's about conflict. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's all attitude and sneer. I think uh, is how I mm. described it once, uh, and that's that's sort of what. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why. I mean, I'm a, a million, I'm a big fan of it. Go to it. Eddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Eddie Cochran. You know, who, you know, Bob Dylan says. Eddie Cochran wrote the first protest songs, Summertime Blues. You know, I'd, I went to my congressman and he said, quote, I'd like to help you, son, but you're too young to vote. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I also say about Big Star, they, these were guys who grew up in the uh, sort of civil rights era in the South, in Memphis, and they were well-off white kids and. the, but I say that they were sort of at the intersection of Stax Volt and uh, Lennon McCartney, where they were drawn to the that yeah, optimistic I, pop I think, sound of the Beatles. But all, yeah, also I, I think what, what separates the genre is you know you wouldn't call somebody like Springsteen obviously power pop or Dylan power pop. You know lyrically, they're exploring broader themes, bigger themes. Um, a little more storytelling. I think, you know, power pop almost usually, almost always uh, concerns itself with the day-to-day. And if uh, you're talking about the day-to-day, you're talking about the day-to-day drudgery. So, uh, you know, thinking, you know, they're going back to getting to replacements, you know, and they're saying about cutting class, they're cutting class. Cause you know, I think Tommy's like 13 years old <laughs> when, they're, when they, when they started out. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just sort of uh, very, 
real-time, real-world commentary on, on a world that's unfolding uh, as it's unfolding. Um, and that's that seems to be the uh, the uh, the subject matter most often covered. You know the the, the breakups and the and the you know the, the bad jobs and the, the bad days and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you something, Joe. You know, like this anthology, it's it's pretty brave publishing, I think, on the part of Rare Bird. I think this is kind of obscure subject, but um, there seems to be so much to say about it. And and most of it is guys, but there's plenty of women writing in here too. Um, do you see any dynamic there between? Uh, I mean, some of the essays are, uh, are are pretty cool. I mean, you got Allison Anders, the uh, filmmaker. Uh, you got uh, Nancy Rommelman. Uh, some Heather Havreski. I mean, have you? gone through it and read some of these i've read some i've just got you know i read i read the big the big hits first michael shibone uh, of course your piece uh steve loudon's piece uh and i haven't had as much uh i haven't been able to uh tackle the entire entire book which i should have before doing this interview um one of the weird things about power pop and it's there is it does seem to be uh, and maybe rightly or wrongly but it does seem to be almost a a teenage boy sort of demographic uh, you know you think of the for some reason reminded of, you remember spinal tap like when when they're asked they're talking like it's primarily uh predominantly uh young teenage boys who listen to your music um and there seems to be something to that not that it in any way excludes uh, uh gender genders or or uh you know anybody else or you know and the lack of diversity is is, a, is always gonna be a problem but um and maybe it's just because of how I grew up. I mean, I, I grew up in a small little suburban town on the East Coast, and and uh, and that's you know the music you listen to coming of age, you know, ultimately shapes your attitude toward the music. I think, and and I had a very sheltered upbringing. It wasn't until I left home at nineteen or whatever and came out to San Francisco that I realized, wow, there's different people who do different things, and they're not all living in a little small farm town and they're not all going to the same church and they don't all believe the same things and people can be different. So, um, you know, it's a hard question for me to, to, to answer just because, um, where I grew up, uh, you know, how I fell in love with power pop. I was surrounded by other people a lot, like a lot, like, you know, I lived in a very, very tiny town on the East coast. Um, that I can't say was, uh, was terribly diverse. <laughs> Did not ever uh, <laughs> didn't reach very far. Uh, you identified it as 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 music, you know, guide music, teenage guide music. But what this anthology opened my eyes to is that you know, seems the girls were there too. I mean, and and maybe later on Liz Fair. I mean, there's a whole essay on her. Oh, totally. And, I mean, that's that's, so, I mean, that's. I mean, what I was trying uh, was trying to say is is you know my my limited understanding of the genre um uh is just that it's limited i mean and they just did the uh we probably should be talking about other um anthologies but i know holly west just put out uh, a go-go's anthology and there's a great power pop band um, yeah and, absolutely uh, you know mm-hmm. and, and certainly liz fair who was um i mean yeah i mean i mean exile in guyville is is one of the seminal records and there's and there's tons of, of power pop uh you know bands from, I mean, you could make case of Donna's or 
even the runaways have, uh, you know, uh, an element of power pop to them. So, yeah, this, that's just, that's a shortcoming on my part where I, uh, you know, it wasn't until I got to be, God, it wasn't until my thirties that I started reading books by women. And now all I read is books by women. So this is, this is, uh, this is 100% the shortcoming on my, on my, on my part. It took, it took a, uh, took a long time for me to uh to shake out well i mean you know during my 20s i was spent you know when everybody was developing and, and growing and sort of branching out and learning about life my, my 20s were spent you know eating food out of a dumpster and, and living on the streets so i didn't start <laughs> to really come around again until my mid-30s and by then you know the world had changed like i mean i grew up where you know in a very reagan sort of town like Everyone loved Reagan when I grew up. It wasn't until I got out, and I was like, holy, wow, I mean, he's not that nice a guy. <laughs> well, I grew up in the town. I mean, they might as well have erected a statue to the man. They loved him. I mean, uh, so if you can imagine that, I mean, I grew up very, very right-wing, very born-again, very evangelical, very rigid, you know, so there wasn't a lot of operating outside of those parameters and, and where I am now in San Francisco, obviously the liberal capital of the world, I've, I've sort of changed my viewpoints and not that politics have much to do with it, but I think one of the things that the politics, you know, how the, how it does factor in is, is when you're talking about exclusion versus inclusion. And, um, and, and I, I found that as I've swung, you know, the pendulum swung uh, to the left. It's, it's much, it's been much more inclusion. Uh, so a long a roundabout answer to your to your question is um yeah i should i should be listening to more uh female power pop bands and uh apologize for not having done so <laughs> well well you don't have to nobody's here's the thing here's the thing about living in san francisco and this is, this is the truth you talk about any people live in san francisco is we feel feel guilt for everything like i feel guilt i wake up like, <laughs> I feel all I do is feel like, man, now I'm just thinking like, I haven't listened to enough female power pop bands. Like all, I mean, one of the <laughs> flip sides of being so empathetic and the Bay Area is wonderful, but it's, it's just like, all you do is just walk around, people walking around feeling guilty all day long. Like, I'm just sorry, I'm sorry. Well, that I'm used, sorry. that used to be an exclusively New York Jewish thing. So, you know, <laughs> glad it's, <laughs> it's, it's going national. <laughs> yeah, it's it branched out uh, and uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, in my, but my, I, uh, in my defense, I am, I am married to a very, uh, very spirited, uh, Latina who, who reminds me constantly of my white privilege and, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, uh, points out that I just need to do a, a better job of being a, a better job being a, a man. So, yeah, that's, uh, well, we're all trying, we're all trying. Um, yeah. I have to confess from my, from my point, I mean, I had never heard of this band, the hold steady that, you know, seems to have a devoted following, including you and, and annual concerts, well, yeah. uh, massive, you know, I mean, I, I, that was kind of a revelation. So I said, well, you know, well, where have I been? Six degrees, right? The six degrees of separation. So you have September girls and yeah. So September girls was, uh, that lyric was taken, um, by uh, a, an artist named Micah Schnabel uh, from the band Two Cow Garage, Oh You uh, December Boys Got It Bad. And that song uh, became Jackson, Don't You Worry. That's one, how I named my second son in part was after that song. Uh, also, like Micah's played and opened and knows all these guys, Frank Turner and, and, and the Hold Steady. And so like the, the lineage of, of, of this genre 
you know, goes on and on. Everything, everybody's connected to everybody because they all play. Basically, you got 12 chords, right? You got 12 notes to play, <laughs> and you gravitate towards a certain kind of music. And it's not, you know, I think I wrote in the essay, it's like you can tell power pop mostly by what it's not, right? It's not, it's not hip hop. It's not country. It's not soul. Like it's, an, it's that's how I define. You know, when I did the interview with Franz, and he asked me how to define it. Uh, you know, that's where I was. That was the first, you know, one of the many times I was, uh, you know, tongue tied. I realized I couldn't think of how to define power pop. I mean, I know the you know technical definition, you can, which is you know you can find on the internet and, and, and the dictionary and, and whatnot. But like, what does power pop mean? It seems to encapsulate much more than just um, upbeat songs with kind of snarky lyrics, right? There, there seems to be a, a almost an unspoken quality. Whereas you know it when you hear it, you're like, that's not that's not oh that is that's power pop, uh, and, and, <laughs> and 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 I'm not really sure if that's entirely on the listener or uh, what's being projected from the band or, um, you know, is it just a hybrid of, of commercial, almost commercial viability? Because generally the bands, the power pop bands we're thinking of are the ones that almost make it, right? They don't quite make it. And as great as Alex Chilton was, great as Replacement, the whole Steady, um, they don't break that big. I mean, I guess, I guess bands like Blink-182 are, and, and, and some 41, but even, and, you know, those bands, I don't think it was the same kind of, uh, you know, caliber as, uh, as a cheap trick, which, which got, you know, they had their, you know, they hit number one, but they also had number one with a song that Rick Nielsen didn't write. It was kind of, I think it was Mark Foster wrote it or something, uh, you know, the flame, <laughs> um, where they were sort of almost force fed, like, Hey guys. And if you want to see a great example of this, I don't know if you've heard dead man's pop, which just came out where they take uh, mm-hmm. the replacements. Don't tell a soul, which is, always kind of been the outlier one of their outlier records you're like what, what's going on with this record it's not it's not the match it's the songs are there but something about it isn't right well it turns out you know they had they had this these brothers come in and remix the album to be another 90s record and so that's where you get this slick sheen and sort of limp rock and they just restored the original mixes by matt wallace and it's a totally different record and so it, it, that's a great example, I think, where you see where they're trying to make a power pop band like The Replacements palatable to the mainstream. And I don't think they're meant to be palatable to the mainstream. I think the repla- bands like The Replacements need to stay a little dangerous. And, and Soul Asylum, another band I love, uh, I, I love everything before <laughs> Runaway Train. <laughs> like, you know, and the horse to ride in on, I thought it was a great, great record. Right? You know, I had a band of Connecticut. We used to play tons of their songs. And after that, where they kind of crossed over, where they became a little more um, mainstream, something seems to be lost. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's, there's something too, uh, you know, you need, uh, uh, you know, the quote Paul Westenberg on will inherit the earth, you know, standing with my hands in my pocket waiting for the day to come. It ain't ever going to happen. And you, I think you need that a little bit. You need that desperation maybe to make it uh, real power pop. Well, it's an interesting concept, you know, aiming for the niche rather than for for actual success. It's an interesting definition. I mean, I, I take this. I'd sell out if they'd let me, you know, if they'd let me buy in as the, as the joke goes. Uh, uh, no, I think, I think part of it is the, is the earnestness of not being. And one, of the, one of the things that Fran said to me that was heartbreaking uh, during the interview, he says, you know, we're probably not going to get bigger than we are right now. And, I, and I'm thinking, like, how is that possible? Like, like 21 Pilots can sell 60 billion records in a day, and you guys aren't, like, the biggest band in the world. 
Uh, but they did. They opened for the Stones once. You know, like they got so close. Uh, and I just saw Craig Finn play with his band, the Uptown Controllers, over in San Francisco at this little tiny venue, the Chapel. And you know, you got maybe you know, three hundred people in there, maybe, maybe. You know, when I saw the the last time the whole study came by, they played the Great American Music Hall, and that's a couple thousand. Like they were on, you know, they opened for the Stones. They 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 were gonna be huge, and they just fell short. And to think that like. They all know, like, no, we're not getting any bigger than this. Uh, is is kind of, I don't know, it's sad. It's well, just, it's, well, you know, it, that may be why this is, you know, a literary subject, a, a literary appreciation, because, you know, uh, as a writer, you know, we're more interested in, in failure, in, in, in the distance between, you know, perfection and, uh, and, and, uh, and imperfection. Uh, you know, it's more, it, tragedy is much more interesting than, than uh, some sort of uh, big, shiny success story. And, right, but it's also why you get a, a really cool press like Rare Bird willing to take it on, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, an indie band, an indie press that's, that's a little more edgy, a little more uh, avant-garde willing to take a chance and it's doing, it seems like it's doing really well because you know, like, you know, the corporate corporate presses are going to, you know, they're going to have some crunch numbers and count beans or whatever it is they do over there. And like, ah, oh, that seems a little too, but this is a great collection of, 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 of essays. Everything I've read so far has been uh, fantastic and uh, it's selling well. And I think it only happens because um, a press like rare bird has the balls to put it out. Well, yeah, it's also a good-looking book. I'm holding it in my hand. They got nice, you know, cover on this, and it's hard cover. I mean, it's it's not a cheapo production. I mean, this is you know pretty first well, no, class fantastic. for a yeah. for power. But, yeah. but uh, in fantastic. terms of you know the liter- the literary themes, I mean, both. Uh, I mean, you and I reached back into some you know some tragic happenings. I mean, when I met Alex, you know, I I, I was just coming down off about you know. I've been shooting heroin since I was like shooting heroin and meth from, since I was 16 years old. And there I was 20 finally and, uh, you know, <laughs> pulling myself together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes at the same time, it's all the friends yeah. people. Anyway, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, and, and you, you know, have this relationship with your, your brother. And I just thought it was very touching and very, um, you know, engaging how you, you mix the music and the emotion. Uh, and, and that's kind of what power pop seems to be about as well. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, a uh, um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the song, when the song came out, entitlement crew, and when it came out after his passing, after I just seen him in Boston, the lyrics to that song, uh, yeah, it makes you always wonder if there's something a little extra going on. You know, I mean, it make it weirder. That, you know, two days ago was the, the anniversary of his passing. He was 43, my brother Josh, when he died. He died of alcoholism. And, uh, you know, the line in, 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 uh, in Time and Crew, the one that always gets me is, you know, um, you know, your brother's in Boston. He's acting like a dick. And that's where I, that's the last time I saw him. And, and I remember when we knew, I remember back when we knew him before he was sick, you know, and like, and it's, I know those are generic lyrics, but to hear that after somebody who means so much to you passes from a band that means so much to you, that's just recently, you know, gotten back together. 
yeah, I mean, it, it chokes you up. It, it, it hits you, you know, right in the solar plexus, and and, and uh, that's the power of uh, you know good music always. But uh, specifically, you know, this genre with the crunching guitars and that that sort of uh, you know punky sneer, um, you know, it, it, it I think it carries a little more, resonates a little more. Hmm. And what does Franz do for a living? I mean, when he's not. I mean, certainly the band doesn't pay for anything. Yeah, well, well, that's the that's. The, I think I made a comment to him. I was like, you know, good, you're a rock star. And he's like, no, I'm not. Like, I took a day job. I think he teaches. He's the the consummate, uh, uh, you know, musician's musician. He's uh, classically trained and all that. So I think he teaches. I think he writes. And he does, he plays at a bunch of does a bunch of different gigs, a bunch of different bands, um, and like most artists, you know, cobbles together a. Uh, uh, a living he's got to be doing okay to be living in the bay area where it's, you know it's i mean geez like yeah new york's more expensive but this place is nuts you know, it's the home of the 15 dollar <laughs> sandwich uh, but there's a reason so many artists come here i guess there's uh there's something about the uh the region that's you know drawn you know from kerouac to steinbeck and and everybody that's there's something special about the bay yeah, well, I spent a little time there myself, Joe, uh, but yeah. not not for a while. I'm I'm down here in L.A., kind of a very noir section called Frogtown, right by the river. Watch the train yeah. go by. <laughs> um, Frogtown with the train. I just I don't know. I was just I was just there like two about I was at Disneyland, but I mean I was down in the general vicinity of Southern. California, I can't say I can, I don't have much stomach for skid rows or, or noir settings or, you know, after you spend some time doing that, you know, I mean, we did an interview a couple of years ago and, and the, the guy writing the piece took me back to Skid Row, um, you know, Tent City and the, the Mission Street shelter where I stayed. And I'm like, geez, I can't, I can't, get me out of here. I can't look at this stuff anymore. Like, I, yeah, no, all, of, you know, all of downtown LA is, is, is Skid Row now, it's Tent City. But uh, over here oh, in Frogtown, yeah. it's probably the, the other side of the uh, universe from uh, Disneyland. And, uh, anyway, yeah. um, so so what's uh, so what's uh, Jay Porter doing next? Uh, well, I, I mean, I technically the last last book, uh, Ragged Bone, wraps up the Porter series, and I just did a panel over at BoucherCon and my my publishers, Ocean View, Bob and Pat Gustin, were in the crowd. I'm like, if they want another book, I'm happy to write one. You know, but I think they were happy to um, to end after five. I'm not sure uh, it turned out to be what they wanted. Jay's a a pretty prickly character. He's a you know talk about outliers. He's he's not uh, very palatable. I don't think to the mainstream. And I you know I wrote that book once again. You know my brother played a huge part. Um, you know all most of my work you're going to have some something or somebody or some theme. Uh, that, that seems to resonate or, or carry through or, or reverberate, and and certainly uh, brothers has, has been has been a, a theme I've explored time and time again. But I, I think Rag and Bone is probably the last we see of Jay Porter, unless uh, unless you know the film people call and say, hey, we got a we got an offer from um, you know Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or any of the other streaming services. Uh, because I know they're pitching uh, Jay pretty hard, and they've been doing it for a while. So there's always that. You know, always holding out. Uh, always holding out hope. Uh, well, fingers crossed, man. Yeah. And, and by yeah. the way, 
I mean, Manafort, I mean, was that prophetic or what? Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, you know, my brother was married to them. I mean, the Manaforts are, there's like six people in that family. It's a man, made up family name. They're not, it's not a real family. I mean, they're, they're if you hear Manafort, it's often the same Manaforts. Uh, you know, that's the where my college, when I went back to school after I got straightened out, was uh, Paul Manafort Drive. You know, Paul Manafort was my brother's wedding. I used to go, you know, my brother was married into the family. We'd have dinner with him. My father worked for the family. Uh, yeah, they're scumbags. And so watching one of them um, go to jail was, uh, was lovely, although I think we both know he's probably, you know, in a very nice part of the jail. Uh, you know, like the good fellows, you know, where they give him their own suite. I don't think he's doing a hard time like the regular folk because uh, you know, this idea that we're all treated equal is, is something that goes away pretty fast once you hit the real world. But it's still nice that uh, you know, he was a little besmirched. Um and uh, his name But was has Cody. anybody has anybody made that connection between your book and the and, and No no, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I, I've talked about it it's on my website, but I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, a small author with a, with a small following, and, and and the people who know my work know about it. But somebody mentioned them like that. Aren't you worried about them suing you? I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Getting sued by the Manafort would be the best thing that happened to me. That all the press, I'd be, I'd be selling hand over fist. Um, no, I don't. You don't worry about that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the books are about Manaforts, and, uh, and and I get a lot of stories about them. If anybody wants to know. The real story they can they can certainly read the books or you can just you know run on the internet and <laughs> google my father's name and see what they did there they're kind of they're kind of unscrupulous uh people um not not a big fan mm-hmm. of rex <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think that's a pretty amazing connection um well uh i really enjoyed your your essay in go all the way and uh Let's see. Hope, yeah, hope you too. Thanks for taking the time the to do this. Yeah, well, thanks for taking time to yes. do this as well. I mean, it's, it's been um, uh, it's been fun, and uh, and I hope to see it, uh, you know, Thriller Fest or one of the next uh, insurance uh, salesman conferences we go to, and uh, we can continue this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's see so if we can uh, make a point of doing that because uh, I'm going to be right. continuing the. Ever since Rare Bird put out the original adventures of Ford Fairlane, I have this whole new career of, I'm a crime fiction writer, man. I mean, you know, I got a detective going, and uh, I'm probably going to bring him back for a contemporary uh, adventure. So, uh, yeah, I'll probably run into you in one of these crime fiction uh, yeah. noir events. Right. Well, I'll, I'll be around. I don't think I'm going anywhere. <laughs> Look forward to it, Joe. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your time. I'll talk to you soon, man.